0: Our free rapid relief call helps you gain a broader perspective, commit to your best next steps, and determine what coaching support is right for you. Visit rapidreliefcall.com to book your call today. Welcome to the Journey Beyond Divorce podcast where we invite you into a journey of healing and personal transformation that will radically change your divorce experience, heal your heart while refining your character, and set you up to be effective and feel empowered as you navigate the practical and emotional challenges of divorce. I'm your host, Karen McMahon, founder of Journey Beyond Divorce. My divorce brought me to my knees And it also transformed me and set me on this path to help you.
1: This process is intended to give you more clarity and confidence in order to discern what to do about your relationship. And I use that phrasing with people throughout the process, clarity and and confidence. Where are you at? How much clarity are you feeling? What isn't clear? So just to go, the the process of discernment counseling, you can expect it to be short-term. It's not a drawn-out process. We want people to, in a more intense way, arrive at clarity and confidence rather than stay in a state of limbo.
0: folks. Welcome back to JBD podcast. Today we're talking about discernment counseling. What is it and how can it help individuals or couples in the should we mend or should we end stage of marriage? And with me today is Brian Burns. Hey, Brian.
1: Hi, Karen. Thanks for having me. Happy to talk about uh, marriage and the hard decision about when it's time to end and when it's time to mend. I like the, the phrasing. It rhymes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like it too. So folks, we've been talking about like the complexities and difficulties in, uh, untangling that relationship that you've been in to get clear, right? Because so often the main thing that people say is I'm confused. I don't know how to make this decision. And so I've invited Brian on today. And I'm really excited to learn with you about discernment counseling and how it's different from regular therapy and how, especially in this stage where your marriage feels like it's on the rocks, how it might help. And so before we dive into that, just a little bit about my guest today. Brian Burns has a private practice in Woodbury, Minnesota. He's been practicing for 23 years as a marriage and family therapist, and he specializes in working with couples in long term committed relationships who are at a crisis point in their relationship he's also experienced with uncoupling counseling and healthy parenting in divorce and brian i met brian and he is the uh host of bad weather podcast which i strongly encourage you to check out so with no further ado let's dive right in brian
1: okay Yeah. Where do you want to start?
0: I think we need to start at the beginning. What the heck is discernment counseling? Even how long has it been around? Because it feels like it's a somewhat new approach. So can you just share?
1: Yeah, sure. The term discernment, I think that's a very commonly used term among pastors and in a religious context when you're needing in a spiritual sense to discern discern your path in life or to discern what in that context, God's you know vision for you might be, so to speak. So discernment, when we apply it to marriage and relationships is to discern the right path for each person in terms of uh, working on repairing the marriage or moving into some kind of separation or divorce. Well, let me back up a few steps. Traditional marriage counseling is intended to restore a marriage to health, right? That requires two committed, um, motivated clients who want to repair their marriage. And traditional marriage therapists lean heavily on each person to come with that attitude. To, to to give 110%, to have a commitment, positive mindset. And I think we know that's just not where everybody's at. That's not reality. Yeah, right. uh, For there to be ambivalence, uncertainty, fear about staying in a relationship is perfectly normal. And so if there's not a format to talk about that more openly, without pressure, then we're not going to help a a significant number of marriages that could otherwise uh, be helped, at least I believe. So this was developed into a protocol or a process about 15 years ago, late 2008, 2009 at the University of Minnesota, which is, as you noted, where I practice. I was lucky enough to be part of not the development, but the initial uh, rollout and training and testing of the protocol and so it caught on in this state. And I think I'm certain it's all over the Western world now being practiced by marriage therapists as a distinct service. Like I said, when there's some ambivalence by one, one spouse or both about what the right path is.
0: That's so interesting. Having gone into marriage counseling a number of times before I ended up heading for my divorce, it was always a frustrating experience. It it, Mm. it fell short. And it's interesting what you're saying. It's almost as if discernment counseling allows everybody to come to the table where they're at, as opposed to making a commitment that they're not quite ready
1: to make yet yeah in fact it's counter to the process to start working on a relationship within a discernment context because that's immediately putting pressure on one or both people that they're not choosing to enter into and often I will start with a couple and there's one person, the, the language is one person leaning in and one person is leaning out. Often the leaning in person is a bit desperate. They don't want the relationship to end. And so they get pushy guilt trips. It can, it, as you can imagine, it's understandable, but just not helpful. And that's the last thing you want to do is to coerce somebody into loving you.
0: If this makes sense to even talk about, would you say that when someone's in that position, that their attachment style becomes a lot more anxious, like a lot Mm -hmm. more grasping? Mm -hmm. Um, So this is great. How do you start? So you have a couple going like this, like one leaning in, one leaning out. How does one open up that process? We're in two different places. Yeah,
1: the the way I describe it to people that is that we're not here to change anybody, do therapy on anybody, you know, uh, pressure you to make any decision until you're ready to do that. First, what we want to do is get a real comprehensive, robust understanding of what happened in this relationship. And most of the people that I work with have been married for several decades. And so there's lots of history slash baggage that can be unpacked. And that's a conversation that I have with each person In front of the other, tell me what happened. Tell me your perspective of the factors that led up to the place that that you're at today. So then, that gives me both perspectives, and they don't align always. Typically, there's some overlap and some not overlap, but it gives me a perspective that often is fairly clear, at least from my neutral perspective of what happened, the relational dynamics, the Uh, personal shortcomings, the characterological shortcomings, the outside pressures, children, jobs, in-laws that have come to bear over the years. And with that perspective, I try really hard to then give the couple some information that they can then use. Uh, Meaning, if you were to choose to report, work on repairing this relationship, these are the things that you would likely have to really dig into for yourself to be the kind of spouse that, it, that can be healthy in a relationship. And so that might be therapy if they have de- depression, or it might be substance use, you know, like take a look at, at their own substance use, or often it's communication styles and understanding your own personality and how you go into fight or flight and push your partner away when really what you want to do is get closer to them. It's not rocket science. People kind of quickly understand, but it does feel like rocket science when you're in it. When you're in that flooded state. So if that makes so, so I think that does create an environment where people can talk openly, and then they can listen to what their partner is saying, and hear and understand things that they haven't yet understood or heard. Often people have been through one or two or multiple rounds of marriage counseling. And so they know what it's like to apply pressure to their spouse or feel pressured by their spouse or the therapist. But they don't know what it's like to just tell their story in a in a safe environment to do that. And then examine that story from a 30,000 foot view in order to decide what to do about it.
0: The process invites more clarity and perspective than
1: than
0: standard marriage counseling. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's all about information and clarity and understandings, which builds confidence. uh, What I want as an outcome for discernment counseling is not that people, I mean, I love it when people choose to work on their marriage, because I think marriage is a cool thing. But I understand that's not right for everybody, for good reasons. But the best outcome in my mind is confidence that they have the information that about themselves, their relationship, their spouse, in order to more confidently make a decision to move forward.
0: Yeah. So it's interesting. My three words always calm, clear and confident. And it sounds like the confidence is actually followed by the clarity. It sounds like it's a very clarifying.
1: That's exactly right. I mean, my standard pitch is that this process is intended to give you more clarity and confidence in order to discern what to do about your relationship. And I use that phrasing with people throughout the process, clarity and, and confidence. Where are you at? How much clarity are you feeling? What isn't clear? So just to go, the the process of discernment counseling, you can expect it to be short-term. It's not a drawn-out process. We want people to, in a more intense way, arrive at clarity and confidence rather than stay in a state of limbo. It's often a crisis point because someone has divulged their ambivalence or unhappiness. Um, Divorce is on the table, typically. When we're doing the discernment counseling, so five or six sessions is the norm in a relatively short time frame—a month or six weeks. the The process includes meeting together with uh, the couple, as well as one-on-one time. I think that's important to note that the dis- discerning is an individual exercise. You're, you're not jointly deciding what to do in your relationship that's a personal decision that each spouse makes. Meeting with them one-on-one allows me to get in a little deeper into where their discernment is and help them get more clarity and confidence for themselves.
0: Okay, I'm loving this process. So if you have six weeks, give or take, and you're talking five to six sessions. Can you break that down a little bit? Because I'm so curious when you meet with them individually and also for so many of our listeners who've probably also been in many marriage counseling sessions, Yeah, there's, there's such a, a tug going on. And for me, my, my ex-husband was very verbose and I was just like, When am I going to get some airspace? Are we just going to let him talk through every single session? So everything fell so flat. And I've heard that from clients. Can you go a little bit more detailed in what do those five, six, eight sessions actually look like? And specifically, too, when do you meet individually with them?
1: I try to meet individually in the first meeting. And the the sessions are longer than a traditional therapy hour. I, I ask for 90 minutes minimum, often two hours. Uh, I just don't think we can get to where we need to in 60 minutes. So within that first session, I'm already separating them out at the towards the end to find out what am I missing? What are you not saying? For the leaning out spouse, are you already out? Do you have both feet out the door and you're just trying to drop him off in a safer place? Uh, I want to know that. And I tell people that those meetings are confidential. I'm not going to share with the other spouse what's said. And if they're not comfortable with that, then we don't do it. I can't think of the last time someone said they were uncomfortable with that. I think people appreciate that confidentiality piece. So the typical dynamic is there's a leaning in spouse, like I said, who's desperate, who deeply doesn't want to lose the marriage for whatever reason. It could be for good reasons or it could be for nefarious reasons. And so I try to suss that out and I call that person the hopeful spouse. And I have a cheat sheet of here's the do's and don'ts. Don't beg. Don't coerce. Don't pressure. Step back. Take care of yourself. Find your solid ground. Get some friends and hobbies. Work on you. And start without pressure to make the changes that you understand are right and healthy for this relationship that you're in charge of, which is you. And that tells me a lot, their response to that. If they push back and try to co-opt me and get me to convince their spouse or disagree with the assessment in clearly narcissistic or entitled ways, then that kind of tells me a lot that I need to know. So when I talk to the leaning out spouse, I'm like, going to be validating. Like I I never tell someone to leave their marriage. That's just a no-no. That's a personal decision. But I can be very validating if I clearly see that it's an unhealthy or toxic dynamic. But that's not the norm, at least in the, the work that I do. The norm is good people trying their best that just haven't been able to make it work. So often the hopeful spouse is coachable and able to make immediate change. And then with the leaning out spouse, it's kind of all about that, that just weighing pros and cons and what are his or her barriers to wanting to work on the marriage, what gives him or her pause. There's a lot of water under the bridge, right? Like a lot of people will tell me, I don't want to end this family in this marriage. I don't want to do this to my kids, to our families, to, you know, financially, there's so much good reasons to stay marriage, but I just can't see ever loving again, like I used to That feeling is just gone. I I understand that love that feeling, you can't make it happen just because you want to. And you also can't make it unhappen on on purpose. There's a, a magic recipe that needs to be present. But what I tell people is, if you're done, and you know, with some with clarity, that You could stay in this marriage and work on it for 10 years and you wouldn't feel different. If you know that in your gut, then you know that in your gut. And I wouldn't try to talk someone out of that. There's such a thing as a healthy divorce and let's start that path. However, if they either had bad marriage counseling, no marriage counseling, or just not a lot of understanding or clarity before, I will say to them, there is. think about the choice as not. Do you stay married to this person for the rest of your life? Do you put six months into this relationship, giving it your very best effort? Even if there's only 10% of you that thinks it's going to work, there's value to that. And that value is it might work. And what a great blessing that would be if it doesn't work, which, you know, odds are pretty good. Let's say that it won't. You will have gained A lot of practice and knowledge about yourself and how to be a better person in relationships, whether that's a marriage or a parent child or any relationship that investing in relational skill is never a bad idea. And I can't think of a better way to practice that than in the hardest relationship you're in. So I, I think that's helpful to frame it that way. So the process is. Each meeting is actually a mirror of the last meet together. Where are you at in your discernment process? I have them each check in. We dig into it a little bit if there's more clarity and more questions. And I have follow ups and then I meet with them separately. And that's usually 15, 20 minutes each. We come back together at the end and they provide each other a brief synopsis of where they're at ending the discernment counseling session. Which I think is super important for transparency and clarity.
0: So I just had an aha. So you're saying in 90 minutes. You guys meet together, separately and together
1: and together. That's right.
0: That's fascinating. That's that's right. Because the first question I'm having for you is. You start the process and people start telling their story. And, you know, especially couples who've been together a long time. It's like, that's not how it happened. It happened. If that wasn't, you know, like, how does that play out? Discernment counseling. Divorce is like a foreign land filled with unfamiliar rules and jargon and pressure to make complex decisions that will impact the rest of your life. Don't go it alone. Go to rapidreliefcall.com and get the support and guidance you need.
1: It's actually not a problem. I tell them this is the the goal of this is not for you guys to agree on anything. And so take turns when it's your turn to listen. Just listen. This is valuable information for you, even if you see it differently or remember it differently. It's okay and actually normal that there be two different perspectives on your history together. So let's just let that happen because that will help us with this discernment process. And most people get that. And with only a few redirects, follow that rule pretty well. Oh, that's great. Yeah.
0: You said something about, do you put in six months? Can you talk a little bit about, is there a piece of inviting someone to close the exit hatch and to be two feet in that, give it six months?
1: Yes. That six months is, if chosen, a fairly carefully orchestrated effort (laughs) So the six month, was it's like like that time frame is focus grouped, actually. Longer than six months feels like too much for many people to sign up for. But shorter than six months is not enough. It's like stopping a course of antibiotics before the full thing. Like you might feel better. But there's still work to be done to really solidify those changes that you're making. So that's the time frame. And the expectation is there's specific goals, both relational goals and individual goals for and tasks for each person. They're 110% effort. This is all in, both feed in. That doesn't mean it's gonna work. It means you're gonna, it just means you're gonna give it your full effort. That requires time, that requires money. That requires, yeah, just really rearranging your priorities for that time frame. And if you know within the six months, shorter than that, that this just isn't working, that you'll say that. You can say that. You should say that. You shouldn't just keep quiet and put in the time. It's a pretty robust commitment that that people make. And often it works is the good news. Like,
0: How does the session process change when you go into the six months versus that early discernment
1: then you're doing the the more traditional marriage counseling and traditional marriage counseling is like individual therapy in front of your spouse which i don't think a lot of people understand that they think that you go to marriage counseling to work on the marriage and you go to individual counseling to work on yourself It's that's you go to marriage counseling to work on yourself in front of your spouse. And if both people do that, then that's where the marriage improves.
0: So do you have any statistics on the success of discernment counseling?
1: That's a really good question. And I do not have good statistics on the success. The thing is, it depends on how you define success. If success is a decision is made with confidence, that's different than it. marriages are re- repaired or a divorce happens. My, anecdotally, yeah, uh, you know, I, yeah it's uh, almost everyone says that it's helpful, that they do feel more confident and more clear in making a decision. It's probably 50-50 on people that choose to divorce versus repair, which is consistent with the divorce statistics.
0: Well, that was going to be my next question, your personal experience. So 50-50. So, Brian, how long have you been doing this for now, the discernment counseling? Um, 14 years. Are there certain situations where you see serious red flags and you know, Mm -hmm. or where you really don't see flags and you know that this is like so mendable. Like, can you just Mm -hmm. talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, I want to differentiate and I should credit Bill Doherty. He's a former professor at the University of Minnesota and the chief architect of discernment counseling. He differentiates hard problems and soft problems in marriage. The hard problems are abuse, physical violence. And by abuse, I mean emotional, sexual, physical, across the board. Mm -hmm. Serious addiction that's not addressed. Those are the hard problems. The Soft problems are all the other things, which most of us, which are most of the reasons that people end marriages. Not enough sex, bad communication, falling out of love, can't agree on parenting. We drift apart. And so... I feel like I have a spidey sense. Often, one spouse will say he's abusive and will parse that out and get description and understand it. And she's not wrong. The behavior could be abusive, meaning he's guilting her or pressuring her or belittling her, which is technically abusive, certainly. But if he's accountable to that, if he's like, yeah, I do do that. I I do act like a little kid sometimes. And we can also point to what she's doing that isn't inviting that, like nobody invites to be abused, but is also contributing to the poor communication and the lack of connection. If any of those hard reasons are unaddressed, the the person doesn't take accountability for it, doesn't agree to it, then to me, that's just a black and white tell that that this relationship isn't healthy for either person right. to be in. So the hard part is when one spouse will say he's abusive or she's belittling and he or she downplays it. And I don't see it because people can be charming. People can hide that stuff. And I don't claim to be able to read mine. So that's the hard place where I just really have to validate people to follow their own gut. If they feel like they're being treated poorly and I don't see it and and he or she is denying it, then it's okay to end that relationship.
0: Right. And then with the soft things, when you see that that people are both kind of owning their part but maybe have just character faults were raised yeah, in family yeah. with their own unhealthy behaviors and yeah,
1: like,
0: what do you know until you're taught something different are do you have those couples where you at least go oh this is so salvageable
1: totally yeah 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 absolutely and i'm i try to be transparent about that like on paper guys this is so fixable like this is marriage therapy 101 right. like we know how to fix this stuff Which doesn't mean you have to, but if you chose to work on it, there's some really good approaches and material that you could dig into that have a good chance to make your life better, even if it doesn't.
0: So let's say you get to the point and the sense is that this is not working one or both people. Can you take us through how do you complete that and what happens to the couple Like, how does that
1: work? Yeah, those are some of the most emotionally wrought meetings that I'm in where a spouse is telling the other spouse that it's over and that there's no hope. The raw pain in those moments is palpable, but there's a lot of dignity in being honest. And so if a person is telling me in that one on one meeting, I I hate this, but I'm done and I know I'm done, then I'll coach him or her on. Okay, how do you want to tell your spouse? Because he's or she's waiting in the other room and let's do it. And and sometimes they just can't. Like they need another week. They need to sit on it. They need to or just it's so emotionally difficult. They just can't in that moment. But I coach people to be as honest and straightforward and kind as they can be. And the truth is kind. It's Truth is kinder than a lie, right. at least. Yeah and then so that's typically towards the end of a meeting and they leave with that just pit in their stomach and i tell them take the next week to be kind to yourself feel your feelings and let's meet one more time if you're willing so we can do an ending meeting where you can ask or process any final, any more stuff after this week of taking care of yourself. And I will give you information about divorce processes, lawyers, mediation, collaborative divorce, so that you can make uh, a choice about the next steps and separation. And not everyone's ready to start a divorce just because they don't want to work on the marriage. So we can talk about a structured separation. I like see myself as a shepherd. At that point in helping people navigate a a tricky time,
0: the process really sounds so gentle and safe. The two words that come to mind as I hear you, and I hope that the listeners are like really seeing this as a new option if they're still in that. Should I end? And so, the way I'm hearing you end it is once the decision is made to end they come back together, they have one more conversation, anything else that needs to complete, and then you actually support them with some resources for going forward.
1: Yeah, that's right. It is gentle. I do want to make it gentle and safe. That's certainly true. And as you were talking about gentle and safe, I was reminded of a discernment process that ended about a month ago that, that didn't feel very gentle and safe. It's like one of those scenarios where In this case, it was she found him to be quite domineering and unkind and abusive, not physically. This was all emotional, maybe a little financial also. And I could see it, even though he was taking accountability, mostly, and trying to change. It was skin deep, and I could see it. And when she asked me one-on-one, what do you think? Is he going to change? And I said... I don't know. I don't have a crystal ball, but I don't see a lot of evidence that he even knows what that would mean right. uh, in my mind. And when she delivered the news, I'm done. He threw his notebook across the room and stormed out of my office, flipping me the bird on the way out.
0: <laughs> you only be as kind and gentle as the people that you're dealing with.
1: So that was to her. A really validating experience that she was making the right choice. And I think, as you know, people in abusive relationships get co-opted into maintaining their relationship and have a very hard time leaving it.
0: Well, as you were just speaking, I just cut off a session with a fella and we've been talking about You're listening to the words and you're not paying attention to the actions. And if you listen to the actions, they're going to clarify for you what's real. Because when you have someone who promises to change or promises to whatever that is, and they sound so convincing, but then the behavior that follows is not changing.
1: That's exactly right.
0: Yeah. This has been so informative. I'm just going to summarize a few things that discernment counseling has a beginning and an end, mm-hmm. that it's a six week process, that it is very gentle and safe, that Uh, You start off with a history that you are meeting in every session with people, both together and individually, that the best outcome for discernment counseling is clarity and confidence in making the decision you want to make. It's short term. It lasts a month and a half or so unless you decide to keep going. And then you go into like six months of marriage counseling. You typically have a lean in and a lean out spouse that you're working with, Um, And that you're, as a professional, really looking for the hard problems and the soft problems, the hard ones being all of the abuse um, that could happen, as well as um, addiction, alcoholism and the soft ones. We all know we've been there. The money,
1: next, yeah. we all got soft problems yeah. for sure.
0: <laughs> the things, and so what a beautiful process. Can you share with our listeners how they can find you? Do you have a website? And please mention your podcast again.
1: <laughs> thanks, thanks, Karen. I'm I'm mindful that your listeners are probably nationwide, and so I would love to give people a way to, to get in touch with discernment counselors in your area, because I think in-person experience for this kind of work is preferred. But I don't know of one, like a nationwide network of discernment counselors to find people. How? But I can tell you about my website, which is www.mnrelationshiprepair.com. I do meet with people remotely for discernment counseling and also happy to help people if you're wondering how to find a discernment counselor and just want to email me, maybe I can help you do a little search in your area using the right keywords and the right looking. Google discernment counseling and the University of Minnesota for more literature. There's really good information, Karen, I'll send you a PDF that you can include in your show notes or however you distribute things and my my podcast yes a couple of guys friends of mine and i started a podcast a year ago and karen you've been our ve- most favorite guest so far in, in our recordings <laughs> but it's called bad weather podcast you can find it on apple spotify all the platforms we've recently launched a website for associated with the podcast which is badweatherwellness.com so pretty excited about that. But this podcast is primarily for men who are going through a divorce or who have gone through a divorce and are trying to rebuild their lives with dating and parenting and confidence and getting your mojo back and dealing with the bad weather of life. So that's been a lot of fun.
0: Yeah. So the podcast is great. This is great. I'm wondering if psychology today is a good place to go to search for a discernment counselor as well. They always pop up in my inbox with
1: psychology today, I would say the best network of mental health professionals out there. So if there is a place that would be it. I agree.
0: Good. Excellent. Well, Brian, thank you so much. Thank you for what you do in the world. It sounds just beautiful. Thank you for coming and sharing what discernment counseling is. I certainly have learned a lot. I know that we have a lot of listeners who are in those parts of their marriage, wondering if they should mend or end. And this is really a beautiful process to step into to get that clarity and confidence. So thank you for sharing. You are so welcome. And, folks, uh, we'll be back with another episode real soon, so you stay tuned. Joe and their spouse always seemed to be fighting, but nothing was ever resolved. Their spouse would constantly blame them, unwilling to take any responsibility. Joe lived in the tension of walking on eggshells, doubting themselves, and over time, they became unhinged, angry, and triggered, struggling further with shame and self-condemnation. Their reactivity was used as proof that they were the problem. If you're in a relationship or marriage filled with conflict and blame and you're wondering, is this normal or could it be toxic? Take the quiz and find out how toxic your relationship is. Go to journeybeyonddivorce.com backslash toxic quiz and find out today. group programs, online courses, and free resources. Stay tuned for our next episode, and I'll talk to you soon.